Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, Levi. Thanks, worship team. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy and privilege to uh, continue walking us through John chapter 7. And so we are continuing our journey through the gospel of John together, and we find ourselves at the, the, the final few verses here. Uh, John 7, 37 through 52. And uh, we are continuing this story uh, that has unfolded in John chapter 7. We're basically looking at, at a week of Jesus's life. And we're, we're coming upon this feast called the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. And we're going to continue that, and you're going to see that as the text begins, it says this is the last day. And so we've kind of seen this unfold, and this story began in John chapter 7 with Jesus' brothers inviting him to come to the Feast of Tabernacles and inviting him to come so in a public way so that he would be glorified, so that he would be seen as popular, and basically he said, hey, come and show and reveal yourself, and Jesus chooses not to do so. And he goes up privately and he begins teaching and they begin to be amazed at his teaching. And we talked about how people see and witness Jesus and many people see him and, and see different facets of Jesus, but they don't actually come to understand him as the Messiah. And so we're looking at the last day of the feast and we're going to see this story continue to unfold this morning. I want you to begin this morning by thinking of the greatest invitation you've ever received in your entire life, okay? Maybe you're sitting at home and you go to the mailbox, you open the mailbox, and there is a wonderful, like, it's, it's been addressed in calligraphy, and you know that this is something special. And you open it up and you see that there, there lies an invitation, an invitation to an event, an invitation to someone's home, an invitation to, to be a part of something special. And as you receive that invitation, you feel special. You feel like you belong. You feel like there's people who accept you. There's people uh, that have invited you to come into your life. And I, I want you to think about that invitation, whatever that invitation you received. And I want you to think, who invited you? Who was the invitation from? Where was the invitation to? Who would be present at that event? What would you be doing? Early um, this last year, uh, I got a call from a friend who, who pastors in Jacksonville, Florida, and he said, hey, there is this church in Florida, and they love Acts 29 pastors, and I know like you're not a part of the church plant that, that they have there in Jacksonville, but we wanted to extend an invitation to you and your wife to go to Israel with us this next year. And I'm thinking, man, that's amazing. Like, what a gift. I mean, an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to go. And, and so I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I'd love to know more. And so I reached out and, then, and he, he emailed the church and said, hey, these guys are friends of ours. They live in Salt Lake City. And I, I would love for them to be able to come to us. And they're like, yeah, we would love to extend an invitation to you. 
And we're taking care of, of a lot of the cost and a lot of the meals. And a lot, like, you just got to get there. And I'm going, what, what a crazy event. And, and just a few weeks ago, we, we were able to jump on a Zoom call. We, we met all of the people that are going to be attending this trip and who have received this invitation. And all of them are like, I'm a part of this church. I'm a part of this church. I'm a part of this church. And we're like, we live in Utah. How did we get invited to this? How did we get to be a part. And so the last few weeks as we've kind of entered in and they've been sharing what we're going to be doing and we get to go in May of this year, uh, we have just been saying, what a gift. How kind of this church, how loving of this church to invite us in, to extend an invitation. And honestly, it felt we felt cared by the folks who invited us. We felt cared by this church. And I think an invitation communicates so much. Do you have your invitation in mind? Let me, let me take you back. Remember, I, I think of an invitation also, like imagine being like you're at, you're at recess during school and you, you go outside and there's a, a game of kickball going on and they begin to go down the line and say, yeah, I'll choose you, I'll choose you, I'll choose you. To be chosen, to be a part of a team, that, that's awesome, right? Like you, you felt that invitation and Maybe you're here this morning and it's just, it's hard to discover an invitation. My hope in this passage is you would see the invitation that Jesus offers us. Like we've been invited to step into an event, to step into a a community of people, to step into something that truly satisfies, to step into a winning team. Like we've been invited, we've been accepted, we've been called, we've, we've, been like the the invitation that has been given to us is special and we should feel special and every single person who's here this morning has been invited you have an invitation on the table this morning the question is is how do you respond to that invitation and that's my hope today i want to tell you of an invitation that's on the table for you We should feel wanted. We should feel special. We should feel accepted that this invitation applies to us. It applies to every single person here this morning. And this invitation far exceeds any invitation we will ever receive. And I get it. Like if you're here this morning and you're like kind of foreseeing where the message is going, maybe you're, you're like, I, I'm a follower of Jesus this morning. I'm a Christ follower. I've responded to that invitation. And here's what I would tell you. It is an ongoing invitation to come to Jesus. And that invitation is on the table again today. Will you come to him? Will you come to him? Jesus is going to extend an invitation to us this morning from this text. And I'm praying and I'm asking by the power of the Holy Spirit that it would fall on you afresh this morning. That you would see the invitation to come to Jesus. And so this passage begins this morning in verse 37. It says, on the last day of the feast... And then John gives us another descriptor, the great day. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. And so this is Jesus here. Uh, Jesus has kind of stayed behind the scenes a little bit. Um, But we see when Jesus goes, and he actually does go to the Feast of Tabernacles, he steps into the temple, he begins teaching. He teaches as one with authority. 
And they begin to be amazed, but they don't hear his words. They hear how he teaches, but they don't hear his message. They see him, but they don't perceive him. Perceive him. They, they, they have judgment, but they don't have the right judgment, sound judgment. And so they're missing Jesus. And here Jesus, and I, and I love this picture because a lot of time when rabbis were to teach, they would sit. And in Jesus, John says, he stands up. And, and this is a picture of Jesus calling to attention. Jesus is calling the crowds. You can imagine the commotion. And I'm going to talk about what actually happens on the last day of the event. But Jesus here is, is calling to attention. And this word where, where it says he cried out is the same word that we talked about last week where he proclaims. And this is used in the, the sense of like a war cry. So Jesus is not like meek and mild and sitting by and hoping someone hears him and goes, hey, if any of y'all are thirsty out there, he's like, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And it is a loud proclamation and he stands up from the crowds and he's drawing attention because an invitation is on the table and he wants to make sure that every single person hears it. His standing, his rising up, he wants the maximum number of people to hear and see him. Now, for us, non-Jewish, like readers of this gospel, we may not be drawn into what's happening in the context of this event. And so you need to know the context of this invitation because it's important. Because what Jesus is doing is Jesus is actually answering a prayer that they are offering right then and there. Jesus is the answer to what they're crying out for right then and there. And so the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths would would be celebrated along a week. And uh, some would say it's actually eight days and on the eighth day, and we don't know if this is the seventh day or the eighth day, but the eighth day would be a day of kind of resting and hoping and longing for those prayers to be answered. Either way, we see this is the final day. We're coming to the end. And what happened every single day of the feast is there was a water ceremony that would take place. And this would begin the day every day at the Feast of Tabernacles. And so what would happen is there would be a ceremony where a procession of priests would descend down to the south border of the city and they would go down to the Gihon Spring and they would go, that, that would ultimately that flows into the Pool of Siloam. And there a priest would fill a golden pitcher and the choir would chant Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they would carry the water back up the hill, followed by crowds. And the crowds of people would have two different types of branches in their hand. One would be the lulab in the right hand, and this would be tree branches reminiscent of the desert booth. So when they were wandering in the wilderness, this is the, the, the tabernacling, and so the, the, they, would, they would be um, God's provision for them. And so they would say, like, this is, we're going to carry this as a reminder of when we tabernacle with the Lord, when we journeyed and the Lord provided for, for us. And so we got tree branches. And then in the other hand, they would have an ethrog, and this would be citrus branches reminiscent of the harvest. And so 
They've been in desert dry lands, and then they have citrus branches that is ultimately like the fruit that was, that was born from God providing water and God providing nourishment. And so they would see that here we are in the desert, wandering in the wilderness, longing for water. And then in the other hand, we would have these two tangible reminders that God provides and that God allows us to be able to bear fruit. And so we have these two tangible pictures and they would shake these and they would quote Psalm 113 to 118, which is the the Psalms of Hallel, praise. And so they would quote the Psalms of, of 113 to 118 and they would be declaring praise and they would be celebrating. And when the procession would come to the temple, the priest would climb the altar steps and he would pour the water onto the altar while the crowd circled him. And he would, and, and in this moment, they would just continue singing. And on the seventh day of the festival, this procession took place seven times. Okay. In the midst of this, Jesus, what a gifted preacher. What a, like, talking about preaching to the context, right? Jesus sees this, knows this. He's wise. They're praying that God would continue. Like, this was a celebration of the harvest, a praying for rain, a praying that God would provide. And it's in the midst of this context That Jesus stands up and says, come all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Now, what's happening here is Jesus is proclaiming the answer to their prayers in ways the worshipers would never have expected. This guy, this is our answer. This is our hope. This is, this is who is going to, to, to provide. And ultimately, I love how Tim Chester, he says, Jesus here is handing out God's party invitations. They read, you're invited to my party in the new creation. Come as you are. What a gift. This is what Jesus is offering. And so it's important to understand that context because we, we wonder, like, why in the world is Jesus talking about water? Why in the world is Jesus talking about coming and drinking? And it's because he's speaking to the context. And that's in that moment where these people are looking for God to God to provide. Jesus says, I am the provision of that. And I've invited you. Now, it's important with this idea of the invitation, and that's what we're going to really kind of focus on this morning. This idea of invitation is, uh, who is invited? Who is invited? You know, we think about, like, we can really get our feelings hurt if we find out, like, oh, you know, Justin got invited, but I didn't get invited, right? Like, why didn't I get it? Why, why didn't he extend an invitation to me? And it's important as we read this text, who, who is invited? Anyone. If anyone thirst, let him come. And so the only prerequisite in this passage for who's invited are people who are thirsty. People who are, who are needing something to satiate their thirst. And I want you to think back, who, who are the people in, in, in kind of 
that direct context that, that Jesus is inviting. These are the very people that wanted to kill him. These are the very people who wanted to execute him. These are the very people who wanted him arrested. And these are the, the very people that Jesus invites. And I think in this, we see the love of Christ. We see the compassion of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't, I don't feel invited. I want you to know there is an invitation on the table for you. The only folks who are not invited are the folks who are self-sufficient, self-satisfied, folks who are quenching their thirst in the wells of the world. And they're looking and they're going and they're seeking things to satiate their thirst and they're going to empty cisterns, empty places that will ultimately never satisfy the deep longing and thirst that has been put in you by God himself. Charles Spurgeon said this, Maybe you're here this morning and you go, I don't, I don't feel thirsty. And I love what he says because he's like, there's a thirst for thirst. And I, and I love the depth of that because maybe some of us here this morning, we go, I'm not thirsty for the Lord, but I, I want to be thirsty. I'm thirsty to be thirsty for the Lord. And, and like, that's my prayer. If you go, Justin, what's your hope? I'm going, I just want to make us thirsty for the Lord. I, I want us to, to, to hunger after Jesus. And so he says, I do not feel my need enough. I wish to take the living water, but I'm not thirsty enough. I would have you know that frequently those are the most thirsty who thirst to thirst. If I know that I have a thirst, I have at least something but if I'm fearful that I do not even thirst, then my thirsting to thirst is a deeper thirst than thirst itself. It's a tongue, tongue twister, right? You have a thirst to thirst. Is that you? Is that us this morning? That we have a thirst to thirst. I love Psalm 63.1 because David is proclaiming he has a thirst here. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul Thirst for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's experience lacked God, but we see in Psalm 63 too, he says, but I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And what did that thirst do? That thirst drove him to God. I think it's easy for us this morning to think about we're like, I have, I have a deep longing in my life that I feel is not satisfied. And we can often think that there's something wrong with us. When in reality, there's something right with you. That God designed you and created you to thirst. The reason Jesus stands up and gives this invitation is because he knows that there is one thing that all mankind suffer. It's we all look for something to satiate our deep desires and needs. And so if you're here this morning, you're like, what's wrong with me? I just feel dissatisfied. I'm longing for something. The question is, what's, what's right? You're thirsty. God has given you a thirst. God has given you that thirst so that he could quench it. Remember the Sprite commercial that says, obey your thirst? That's like old school, right? Back when uh, they... We're in the green bottles. I've recently changed those. They've changed it. Yeah, surprise, surprise. 
Those don't, you can't recycle green, so now they put them in clear. Obey your thirst. It's this idea that uh, whatever you thirst for is the, the guiding, controlling aspect of your life. Whatever you thirst for controls you. And so if we think about like, I have a thirst, I have a longing for acceptance. And so that, that longing for acceptance will ultimately control you because you will compromise your beliefs. You'll, you'll behave in such a way to earn love and acceptance of people. That longing, that hungering for that causes you to, to change. And the opinion of the crowd changes you. It controls you. You think about thirsting for wealth. You'll become a workaholic and pass by rhythms of rest. Money controls you. You thirst for power. Ultimately, you, you seek to be in control. You seek self-autonomy, self-sufficiency. And with that comes anxiety and fear that control you and grip you as you fail to trust in the power and so ultimately, I, if you were to write this down, what controls your life determines your thirst. And so like, you're like, what, what am I thirsty for? What am I hungering for? What am I, what am I after? What am I seeking? And this is where St. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Jesus is what you're looking for. And Jesus has given you an invitation. And that invitation exists. It's a constant, it's a continual invitation. Because here's what I know to be true about my life and your life. We will never stop being thirsty. We can never have enough. And Jesus can always fulfill on that promise. Jesus will continue to fill us up. And rivers will flow from the presence of the Holy Spirit that resides within us. It's a promise that he'll deliver on, but we have to keep coming. Keep coming. You remember being in school, and uh, if you're anything like me, I always got really confused, and you would, you would sign up for a course or a class, and then it was like, it had like three prerequisites to get into that class. And you can never figure it out because you're like, oh, so I had to have 101 and 201 and then, but 201 is only offered in the spring. And, and so it's just so challenging to, to figure out and discover. And uh, the only prerequisite Jesus has, and I think he makes it easy because all of us know we have this, is a thirst, a thirst. Charles Spurgeon said again, thirst is an insatiable longing after that which is one of the most essential supports of life. There is no reasoning with it, no forgetting it, no despising it, no overcoming it by stoical indifference. Thirst will be heard. You can't ignore it, is what he's saying. There, there's something in your life that you're going, it's, I'm needing something. We need Jesus on a continual basis. It says, the whole man must yield to its power. Even thus, it is with that divine desire which the grace of God creates in regenerate men. Only Jesus himself can satisfy the cravings of a soul really aroused by the Holy Spirit. So you got to respond to this thirst in your life. You have to yield to it. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? You can't sit idly by. Where are you going to run 
when you're thirsty, when you're dissatisfied, when you're longing, Jesus has given an invitation saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. What do we do? We receive this invitation. We see who's invited. But what, what is the invitation for? What is, it, what is the invitation calling us into? It's calling us to come to him and drink. And Jesus is, is claiming to be the, the answer to their thirst. This is a bold statement. As you can imagine them coming and making this proclamation and singing these songs of praise and asking God to provide and denying Jesus just verses before, missing Jesus verses before. And Jesus says, basically, all that you're praying for, all that you're asking for, it's found in me. I'm the source of all of that. Come to me and drink. I love this because he has enough for everyone. He has enough for everyone. Jesus is the source. Come. This word come is given in the present tense, which means continually come. We've talked about that on the word believe, because it says in John chapter 20, verse 31, I've written these things to you so that you may believe, and by believing you may have life in his name. And the idea, the, the idea of, of believing is that there is a continual belief, an ongoing belief, that it's not a one-time action. In the same way, as I speak to predominantly probably a Christian room this morning, it's not the idea I once came to Jesus, but I continually come to Jesus, that I keep coming to Jesus, that this invitation is an invitation that's offered every single day, that he's inviting you to come. Now, I want you to hear that because sometimes our posture is we think that God has rejected us. We, we think that God has kept us at arm's length. We think that God has turned his back on us and we need to get ourselves right before we come. And he doesn't say that. All you need is a thirst. All you need is a thirst and the invitation's on the table. It's going to be on the invitation. Like you're, this invitation is on the table tomorrow morning. Come, come. This invitation is on the table this evening. Come, come, come. We've talked about this idea of practicing the presence of God. Come. He, he is inviting us continually into his presence to come. I think back in our previous context in John chapter 7, verse 33, 34, Jesus is speaking about coming. He said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So we're given these kind of two separate pictures, contrasting pictures, that Jesus is going to a place where we cannot come, but he's inviting us right now to come, which means there's a time limit on this invitation. And as we said last week, for those who die in their sins and have never responded to the invitation to come to Jesus... There are eternal consequences that we will face. We must come. And so for me, it, it circles my mind back to the rhythms and practices of practicing the presence of Jesus. And my question to you this morning is, what do rhythms of coming to Jesus look like in your life? When you think about the 24 hours of a day. How many of those hours are, are pictured, are experiencing 
the presence of God. How many of those are, are centered around rhythms of coming to Jesus? This invitation to continually come. And I love as John Piper says, it may be that we, we have diseased spiritual taste buds that need the power of the Holy Spirit to transform them. Listen to this. It says, we are afflicted and blessed with a chronic restlessness, an insatiable soul thirst for this reason, that we might keep looking until we find Christ. And that having found him, we might be turned back to him again and again. There's that continual action. And when we taste of other springs and we find them bitter... And that's the hope, is that you will see the wells that you've been drinking from or empty cisterns when he's offering you living water. You were made for God. The taste buds of our souls were made to relish in fellowship with the Son of God. But we have become sinners. And the fundamental meaning of sin is thirsting for things other than God. Our sinful nature is a condition of diseased spiritual taste buds. Therefore, the prerequisite for coming to Christ and finding joy in Him is renewal of our spiritual taste buds. We, we want to thirst for thirst. We want Him to renew our thirst. We want Him to renew that desire and that longing to choose the well of living water. That's the what, that we would come and drink, that we would come and receive, that we'd come and take. That invitation is offered to us. Come and drink, come and drink, come and drink. Why? Why would we do this? Well, it says in verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, maybe sounds like a clunky passage, but ultimately, long story short, uh, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and resides. And Jesus says in John 15 that I'm going to leave and I'm going to leave and I'm going to send the Spirit and the Spirit is going to reside with you. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, we see that, that the Spirit of God came down on every believer. And so as a believer in Jesus, when Jesus was glorified, when Jesus went to the right hand of the Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit came and resided with us as Christians. And so he's saying that when the Spirit comes in you, what's going to happen? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I think we got to ask ourselves because is that your experience? Do you feel like walking in on Sunday, January 22nd, that out of your heart is flowing rivers of living water this morning. And I think for, for many of us, if we're honest, myself included, we don't always feel like there's rivers of living water flowing within us. We feel spiritually dry. And I think that's too often the case 
but it shows to me we don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us. And we should thirst for that. We should long to know what it truly means. This is a promise. It says, if you come to me, you believe and you drink of me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Plural, it's, it's multiple rivers of living water flowing from you. Jesus promises this, literally living water flowing through you. And I, we got to ask, are our lives, is that descriptive of our lives? And I would say a simple way to maybe understand this is there can be no outflow of living water if there is no intake. And so it's important for us to look back and go, he's invited us to come and drink. And when we drink, when we come to him, it flows through us. And so we have to ask if, if we're not experiencing that, if we're not experiencing rivers of living water in our lives and an abundance of the Spirit of God and a presence and an understanding of the reality of the Spirit of God working in us and, and knowing that, could it be that we're not coming and drinking? We're not responding to the continual invitation that is offered to us in Jesus. This idea of Living water flowing is the idea of it flows out to others. And I think a picture of the, the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes and works and moves in our life that it actually impacts the people around us. And so just as the Dead Sea receives the Jordan, but it gives nothing out, it becomes lifeless and dead. And so a picture of a person who's been empowered by the Spirit of God is that there's an intake that, that we're receiving from Jesus and it's flowing out of us and it's nourishing other people around us. John Bunyan said, there was a man in the world, think him mad, the more he gave away, the more he had. And this is the idea of the Christian life. Of going, we just receive from Jesus and it flows through us. The pool that only receives eventually dries up. And so it's meant to, to bless others. Who is this invitation from? And to kind of jump down and give you some more of the context of this passage, I want to jump down to verse 45 and 46. And you can see there were still some discrepancies about who Jesus is. Some say, He's the Christ. Some say he's a prophet. And they're, they're dialoguing about this. And they were sent, the, the officers were ultimately sent to arrest him. Go and arrest him. And it says that no one laid a hand on him. And we see God's provision and providential care over this, this sense. Like Jesus is like, nothing is going to happen to me apart from God's move and act. And so we see this protection and it says in John 7, 45, it says, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees. They sent the officers to go and arrest him. And they come back empty-handed. And they're like, why did you not bring him? Where's Jesus? And the officers answered, 
No one ever spoke like this man. When I read that line, I see the words of Jesus. It, it had an effect on this group of people. When they heard Jesus teach, when they heard Jesus stand up and proclaim, come, anyone who thirsts, come to me and drink. And out of him will flow rivers of living water. They're astonished. They're taken back by this invitation. And the question is for you this morning, what will you do with Jesus' invitation? What will be your response? We think about an invitation is sent and it has, please RSVP. How do you RSVP to the invitation of Jesus to come and drink? And I think the response is multifaceted this morning. I'll say this at the very end because I think it's interesting. In verse 47, the Pharisees responded to the officers after they said, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? And there really wasn't given an answer, but John throws Nicodemus back into the story right here. And it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who was one of them, said to them, and he speaks up. And I think we're beginning to see some of the transformative work of Jesus and the preaching of Jesus. That it's having an effect on people. I'm praying it has an effect on you this morning. I'm praying that you will see the invitation of Jesus and that you would RSVP. It's good news for us today. It's good news that there is an invitation on the table for us. It's good news that we have a place to belong. It's good news that we have a place to come when we're thirsty and we're going to be. That we have a place that is going to transform our lives. That we have a place that's going to transform lives around us. You have been invited to come. How will you RSVP? Well, I think it's threefold. One, for those who have never responded to the invitation of Jesus, and you're here this morning, and not by the power of Justin's words, but from a man who goes, no one ever spoke. That, that's my hope and heart, is that you hear the words of the Holy Spirit calling you, drawing you, inviting you. So if you're here this morning and you hear this invitation, come all who are thirsty, come and drink, and you've never responded to that gift this morning, my hope is that you would do just that. And you're like, what does that look like? It literally just means right now, in the best way you know how, just simply eyes open, eyes closed, however you want to respond, just say, I want to do that. Tell Jesus, he's here. He's present. The invitation's here. He's inviting you. And you get to respond. And you can tell him right now, I'm going to be there. I want to be a part of this. If God's handing out invitations to the new creation, I want to make sure I'm, I'm on that list. Put me on the guest list. I want to be there. If that's you, tell him that this morning. 
For those of you who know Jesus and you've come and you've, you've tasted of Jesus and Jesus has satisfied that longing and desire, but maybe this morning you're hearing that and you're going, but the, the idea of rivers of living water flowing from me is not my experience this morning, that you would long to know the present reality of the Holy Spirit. What I, what I love about this is the people that this was written to had no idea of what was to come, but we are post-Pentecost, and here we are after Acts 2, and we know the power of the Holy Spirit who's come, and we have that, it's available to us. Are we responding to it? Are we practicing the presence of Jesus with us this morning? C.I. Schofield said, the transformation of Christian experience from the average one of painfully drawing blessings out of Jacob's well to the triumphant one of bearing the fruit of the Spirit is affected by two acts, Okay. So if you're like, how in the world do we experience this presence? How do we experience, like, I, I, as a believer, as someone who's tasted and seen the truth about Jesus, who has received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but want that flowing in me today, it says, he says, it's affected by two acts. One of faith, one of the will. The act of faith is just to believe that the Spirit does dwell within us. The second act of the will is to live in yieldedness to that spirit. And so today, going, I believe the Holy Spirit resides in me. What is the Holy Spirit calling me, acting me to do? How do I yield to its presence in my life? Lastly, for those who have been flooded with the Holy Spirit, to pass that invitation on to others. This invitation that we've been invited to. Jesus didn't just say, hey, you're invited. Don't tell anyone. He gives us a mandate in Matthew chapter 28 to go and tell others they're invited. To go and tell others they can come and drink. To go and tell others they can experience living water. That's how we respond to this great invitation that Jesus offers us. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that there is a response on the table for every single person in this room this morning. For those who have yet to taste and see and delight and the cleansing, refreshing, living water to have come and drink. Lord, for those who have never tasted, would they taste this morning? Would they experience that? I pray that you're drawing people to you right now. That there are people here who go, I'm longing for that. I'm looking for that. Would you invite them, Lord? Would, they, would you let them know they're invited? And would they respond to that this morning? For those of us who have tasted and we've seen and we've experienced. Lord, would you give us the refreshment, the cleansing, the reviving nature of water? Would you bring that into our lives? Would you flood our hearts with that this morning? Lord, that by faith we would know that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And by faith would we respond and yield 
and, and be moved to respond. And Lord, would you move outside of us? Would this intake of living water flow into the life of people we love and care for, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends? Lord, would you allow that to flood their hearts? We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.